0: Mark Pellegrino, I, I want to start with just asking how much of that Yarnbrook versus Vosh debate did you end up watching? I, I have to say, after you tweeted I, about it, I made it all the way through, and I'm kind of mortified. Not great.
1: I think I made it all the way through to before the closing comments. So if you saw anything extraordinary there, do let me know.
0: I, I will let you know, I mean, the, the sort of rise of these Twitch age kind of political commentators has been pretty striking to me. I mean, they're popping up in a lot of places, conventions, political circles that I, I've never seen them in before, particularly like in the libertarian space. Uh, how long have you been following the work of Vosh, sort of this libertarian, self-ascribed libertarian socialist streamer? It's been pretty relevant for a long time.
1: Yeah, well, um, I didn't really know about him until yourron's uh, encounter with him. So, like you, um, he was a stranger to me. And it is disturbing to hear that he's in the libertarian movement. And, sense, and legitimately yeah. considered to be in the lit- libertarian movement.
2: Yeah. Do you follow this stuff much, Robbie? No, I've just become aware of who this person is. <laughs> I, I am aware that they were at a libertarian event over the weekend that I, I think you were at. you know, uh, I, I work for Reason Magazine, an, an organization that carefully kind of monitors and pays attention to who is and is not in the libertarian movement. It's obviously an amorphous category. In some sense, we want to draw very broad uh, – uh, a big tent, right? Because we want to say there are more libertarians in order to make the movement look like it's it's growing. But the the political environment over the last uh, a few years – you know, it's presented—it's uh, presented challenges. I think to because we're in such a tribal duopoly, such a red versus blue, that for for alternative ways of thinking that that are that are freeing from those 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 kind of those cages of of of, of tribal identification, it's harder to break through with them.
0: Yeah, and and Mark, I think that's kind of one of the reasons that personalities like that have sort of risen is a, a real interest, particularly amongst younger people, for people who are perceived to not be batting for any of the establishment teams like that was kind of always the appeal of certain libertarians but then you sort of even have like sort of outside actors who push the libertarian party to be better i think of objectivists as being kind of one of those people um you're pretty exasperated with sort of the libertarian status quo right
1: oh totally well that's why i co-founded another party called the american capitalist party because i see the i see the intellectuals in the libertarian movement um uh, embracing anarchy, which I think is the antithesis of capitalism and free markets. I, I don't think you can have real liberty with anarchy. It's just the other. It's the other side of the statist coin. Um, and and I think that's this is the case when you when you uh, decouple liberty from reason, and when you when you make a claim that pol- there can be such a thing as politics without ethics.
0: Well, this is probably a good moment to just pause real quick and say hello to everybody watching or listening. This is Right Now on Rightly. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I am being joined today by Robbie Suave. He's the senior editor of Reason Magazine and author of the brand new book, Tech Panic, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook or the Future. And you've seen his magnificent symmetrical mug on shows like Supernatural, Lost, Dexter, and the new Showtime series, American Rust. Mark Pellegrino, actor and co-founder, as he mentioned, of the American Capitalist Party, is here on the show with us today. Mark, I was watching an interview of yours from like five years ago on the Rubin Report, and you were giving sort of this top-line answer to what objectivism is, sort of explaining the Ayn Randian philosophy of doing what is good for oneself as sort of rational and and inherently in your best self-interest and something that is actually virtuous. And it was really remarkable because the conversation was in 2016, so pre-pandemic, before what I view as one of the biggest dress rehearsals for your ideology and worldview possible. So I wanted to ask you, in the past year watching COVID-19 play out, what have you sort of learned as a self-described objectivist or sort of had confirmed about the way that you view the world?
1: Well, I'm a little disturbed at how quickly people fell into the, the, the statist regimen and how quickly they wanted to drag their, everybody into this regimen as if it was good. And that, and that made me see how people are prepared to violate supposedly inviolable rights provided the common good is at stake and uh, and how deeply saturated that notion is in our culture is a little bit disturbing but what was also good was to see the counter movement out there to see on how many different levels the the sense of life of america is still alive it's just confused and so we had the spectacle of people really fighting for something good like liberty but going into walmart's and starting fights with people because they wouldn't wear their masks um, so they're confused, but their spirit is in the right place. So, yeah, um, disheartening to see so many picking up the status mantle, but heartening to see that the the, the sense of life in America is still there. Um, it's still alive and beating. It's just on life support.
2: You know, the the I think of objectivism as one of its kind of most important tenets or, or easiest thing to explain to someone who do, maybe doesn't know what it is is that it's, it's all about the, your right, the importance of and your right to pursue your self-interest, to, to, to be, to put your values and your desires first. You have that right. Every person has that right. You don't have to put other people's needs ahead of your own. If you care, you can prioritize other people's needs if you care about that, but it's, it's up to you. And the pandemic obviously was a challenge to that, because now you have all of these authorities in our society saying, no, that's wrong. You have to put the needs of everyone else ahead of ahead of yourself. And if you're doing that, that will cause you to support all these kinds of, of mitigation efforts. But then, you know, Mark, as we're seeing, the people then who get to make those decisions for, well, what is in everybody's best interest, they they so often, and, and this is what I think is, is good for promoting objectivism, they show that they cannot be trusted to decide what that is on behalf of other people.
1: Yeah, that's true. The unfortunate part about statism, uh, one of the many unfortunate parts about statism is how it robs you of your individual moral agency. So people come to expect that somebody should tell them what to do and that your health, your well-being is somebody else's responsibility, not your own. And objectivism, I think, provides the, the philosophical framework and the ethical framework for people to To justify this idea that your life is your own and moral agency is good and self-responsibility is good.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about where that philosophy comes from and sort of unpack the Ayn Randian version of the good and responsibility for others? Um, You know, I I understand the story of Atlas Shrugged to be really hostile to a couple of different things, including, one, the idea that the problem necessarily of your neighbor is therefore yours, and also that being indecisive is in and of itself something that is also undesirable. Could you unpack it a little bit for us?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, what Rand was doing was was painting archetypes. She she wasn't painting the world as it uh, is, but as it uh, ought to be in her mind. Uh, we live in a in a mixed world where there's a lot of philosophical uh, confusion, and and so there's going to be quite a bit of indecisiveness as as people um, are are in either. Imbued with radical skepticism, or whatever ideology happens to be dominant, um, those that that kind of epistemological confusion is going to be uh, more rampant than Rand would give it credit for.
0: I keep coming back in my mind to the question of masks, and mm-hmm. if you were going to kind of have a conversation focused on. Doing a thing that is supposedly good for yourself while also doing a a thing that is supposedly good for others, it all comes back to masking. I, I can't think of a more picturesque example for the entire debate around whether objectivism makes any sense or not than this concept. Because there's this sort of mythology around masking that it is a thing that is done necessarily to protect you but then we also get this sort of mixed message from health officials and it's it's changing every day that it's really more about a group behavior like masking only works if everybody in an entire setting mm-hmm. is wearing a mask but if everybody is wearing a mask in one room and not you you are no more protected if you were otherwise
2: but i, I think think and i think the most infuriating part of it is that you can't, we're, we're developing mass policy at the level of, okay, everyone has to do this or no one can do this, right? Repu- uh, democratic, places under democratic control want to require mass mandates in all sorts of settings, including schools, despite very little risk of COVID to young people. And then some Republican officials want to say, no, we're going to prohibit even private, you know, entities that private businesses or or, or, or places where whoever owns this space should should have the control over what the rules for it are we're going to tell them what to do so it's like on either side it's not what it's not what a libertarian or I, I don't think what it what an objectivist would want the situation to be right mark
1: correct correct yeah we're we're caught between two tribes who are just warring with each other over over which collective they're they're protecting you know for the left it's the it's the everybody in the world and for the right it's you know their particular their particular tribe and their notion of liberty. It's, it's pretty ugly.
0: How would someone of, of your viewpoint offer an alternative, though, for how you would approach perhaps like just this situation, right, with mask policy and how we should approach vaccinations? Because we've already reached this point where we've got not a critical mass of people who are vaccinated, but enough to sort of reach that threshold of we're moving towards herd immunity, we're going to get past this thing, and yet we've not moved past mandatory masking policies state to state. How would an objectivist Or the District
2: of Columbia, here.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, how would an objectivist actually handle this and govern. Um, Maybe governing's against the idea, but that's the world we live in, right?
1: Well, I think it's a personal sovereignty issue and a property rights issue. Uh, Everybody has to make these decisions uh, with respect to their own context. And if you own a business and you consider it uh, more safe for people who are entering your business to wear a mask, then that should be your right, given that you own the property. And as a sovereign individual, you have your own separate context. It's very different from everybody else's. And you have the right to decide based on that context whether getting the vaccination is appropriate for you or not. Uh, I think one of the one of the main, I think, misapprehensions about uh, about um, individualism and selfishness is that it it creates this. atomization of human beings. But the, the simple fact of the matter is every person is connected to lots of other people. You know, lots of other people are, I value lots of other people. And I work towards enriching those people's lives. I'm not just alone in this. And that counts as my own individual values, right? And that counts as working for my own individual values. So Selfishness is a lot wider a concept than I think the enemies of selfishness want to make it out to be.
0: When you when you talk about the selfishness part of this, it is the the idea that like Ayn Rand and people like yourself believe that all people will inevitably do the thing that is is right for them. Like they, It talks about sort of that idea in like life or death terms and that people who don't subscribe to the selfishness is good idea are lying basically about their own motives and that people say they do things for others, but in reality we all naturally do the thing that is good for us.
1: No, I don't think that's true. I don't think we naturally do the thing that's good for us. <clears throat> I think... Um, only by thinking it out and reasoning it reasoning our context out do we do the right things for us so um I, and i don't think she would ever say that it's it we inherently do that or that okay. all actions are selfish um you know there are there are uh, there are actions uh, that, that are probably not selfish uh, even if you could even if you could pretend to say uh, you know that the jihadist is really doing it for the 72 virgins that he wants <laughs> in the afterlife um, he, he's he's still um, acting against his life he's, he's still he's still in fact in concrete reality acting against his life. And his ideal is not based in reality, so it's a it's a selfless act.
2: And and I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about how how the importance of, of selfishness to objectivism. You can I think that word trips people up. You can you can still it, it might be the case that the word selfishness. Ma- yeah, yeah, it might be the case that making other people happy gives me so much value and joy. So I I am I am, you do things for others. You treat other people well and fairly, and and you even attend. Other people's needs, but you you do that because that has value to you, and so yeah. that's compa- That's the kind of selfishness we're talking about. That's perfectly compatible with an objectivist framework. Do I have that right, right, Mark?
1: I, I think that's I think that's true, but but also the idea that you deserve to be the beneficiary of your work, of everything you value and work towards. You deserve that. Okay, so um, I don't know. I don't know what you would call that if that's sort of a political spin on what selfishness is, but um, it, it's just simply you deserve to, you 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 deserve to get what you've earned.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and kind of going back just like to the masking element and what you just uh, laid out there, Robbie, is when I was at the airport this weekend, coming back and forth between Nashville in the airport terminal, there are signs up everywhere, just, you know, laminated and put up on walls willy-nilly saying that you have to mask in the terminal. And everyone's sitting there masking and basically they buy snacks so that they can find a reason to pull <laughs> pull their mask down and get any excuse because when you're eating and drinking COVID's not a thing you walk through the terminal and everybody on each side of the restaurants are not masking and they're all completely safe but we all in the terminal have to wear them for some reason and when I got <laughs> seated I, I pulled my mask down and I put it underneath my chin no food no drink because I wanted to breathe clearly and The the woman next to me, it took about 20 minutes for her to say anything, she leaned over and she asked me if I could put my mask on. And I was very happy to do that. And I said to her, and my answer was, I'm happy to do that for you. (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm happy to do that for you but i will not do it for these signs on the wall put up by a faceless nameless person for reasons that they don't understand that they're just doing
2: i can't do it anymore i in in the line at the grab and go places in dc like chop salad or whatever where there are people unmasked uh, eating because you, you have to be on mask when you're eating, but while well, you're in the line to get the food, and again, this isn't the this isn't the company. This if the the private company making that decision, I'm fine with. This is the city. This is the state is dictating that the totally irrational policy. <laughs> D.C. want gyms in D.C. asked the government said, could we would like to require vaccination of our customers. We don't want to require masks, but your policy says we have to require masks. So could we do a substitution? That would make perfectly logical sense. We'd rather have people vaccinated than in masks, the, the masks you have to do forever. It's a stopgap. We want people vaccinated. The government said, no, you cannot do that. No, that's that's the, that's the, the, the it's totally irrational and, and we shouldn't be governed by it. <laughs> that's my
1: amen. view amen
0: <laughs> yeah mark I, amen. I came across this article a while back in business insider and it was titled and about the pandemic ayn rand's atlas shrugged has been completely unraveled by the pandemic and and the reason cited is because of supply chain breaks so the system of, of sort of the economy breaking down based on people's needs and health and then also the question of masking I just want to put it before you, like, what's what's your rebuttal to that? Because I, I do see challenges to the ideology in the past year that we've experienced, but not a dismantling of the ethic. If anything, I sort of see exactly the opposite with the way that people have sort of fallen into line, stepping over policies that they don't understand and virtue signaling rather than doing things that are actually rooted in, in being good for your neighbor.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, to me, the the breaks in the supply chain were entirely the fault of the government. Um, I think the private sector could have met any needs that we that we had, um, but they were prevented from doing so by a hysterical um, power lusting uh, group of people in Washington and in the state governments. To me, that proves Atlas Shrugged's point more than anything, um, because it's the statists who are ruining the world and it's the private entrepreneurs who decide to go on strike because they can't take being exploited anymore yeah I, I but wondered, i've never heard any real I've, I've, I've never heard any real refutations of objectivism i've heard some fake ones but no real ones you <laughs> you know of any me.
2: it's it's mark you're in the entertainment industry and i feel like people in the entertainment industry have been some of the you know they're not following the rules that everyone else has to live under i'm thinking of the met gala the emmys this year you have a lot of Fancy, well-dressed, unmasked people, which I totally support them being able to do that. But, you know, every, then the workers all behind them are masked because they, ha- they have to still be following. And it. it's part of this whole, in the pandemic, you know, we have to, the, the, the working people have to follow the rules the government made for them. But the, the wealthy and the influential and the well-connected and the famous do not, uh, which is unfair.
1: I agree with you. If, if it's any consolation, working on a set is, uh, is strictly regimented and they have, covid monitors on the set that uh make sure you're wearing your mask at all times and even when you have to take your mask down to take a drink you're instructed to go to a drink station several feet away from any other masked actor who's already been vas- vaccinated of course and, and this is with the whole crew and cast of a show being vaccinated so yeah on on the social side they're, they're certainly um they're certainly showing their elitism Um, But when it comes to work, um, everybody's sort of following the same rules.
0: Well, I I, got to admit, even when we have any conversation that is in any way related to to COVID-19 and the pandemic, I get incredibly nervous because this show is put out on YouTube and and Apple Podcasts and all that stuff. And any discussion about this is is basically going through a very subjective and willy-nilly moderation system where it is never clear to me on any given day exactly what the rules are besides the whims of an individual moderator. These conversations just make me nervous. I don't want the show to ever, you know, get a red flag Mm -hmm. or anything on it. And so I want to ask you, Mark, about the the entire question of kind of free speech and the way that corporations, particularly social media companies, are playing in the realm of controlling the flow of information and discussion. Are you concerned about the free speech environment being driven forward by the Facebooks, YouTubes, Twitters of the world? No. Why?
1: No, provided, provided they, they don't embed themselves in government. I mean, the fact that... People who work for these tech firms become a part of the administration, and to the degree that these uh, that these companies start synchronizing their ideas with the with the political administration, that's scary. But just uh, just because they're a big platform, they they allow us to say and do what we want, pretty much. That edits its content based on their ideology. That doesn't disturb me in the least because I trust the market. To produce something, some alternative to them. And they started to with uh, with what you might call Parlor. Um, it was sort of sh- shut down and then restarted again, right? Do you guys know anything about what yeah, happened to Parlor? Yeah,
0: it's back up. Uh, I actually got verified on Parlor before <laughs> anywhere else, but uh, I've said a couple of times in the show, like I, I couldn't stand the, the climate in that app because. The, the sort of total lack of moderation made the space entirely dedicated to vitriolic politics and right. nothing else. And, like, who wants to be in a space like that? It was just unpleasant all the time.
2: But M- Mark, as an objectivist, you have to, as I do, kind of recoil in horror at some of these congressional uh, hearings where, you know, people like Dorsey and Zuckerberg, who, you know, we might... Criticize some of the things they do and say and certainly the overlap with government policy. But in those in those hearings, they're often being berated by senators who have no idea what they're talking about. And I find myself, you know, only a casual consumer of Rand thinking maybe they should they should go on intellectual strike. Right. They should (laughs) they should they should shut down uh, their or, or kick the senators off the platforms, at least to teach them all a lesson.
1: Oh, at the kick them off, and at the very minimum, make a speech in front of these jerk offs. You know, let them know who's boss, and that uh, as a constituent, uh, the the people interviewing them or abrading them, as you say, are are actually their servants and should stop. And if they want to make these hearings about really gathering information, figuring out what this platform is about, make it about that. I don't know if these guys have the uh, have the cashews to stand up and and do that kind of thing. Draw the lines in the sand, but the power is really with them if they can do it.
0: You know, you mentioned something about kind of like not being concerned about what social media companies do in the space of speech and you know kind of governing the discussions that we can and cannot have on this show about the pandemic which which hugely concerns me. But you mentioned that like that it's it's not a concern to you because you know it's not the government calling the shots here but you know, all the videos across YouTube are, are flagged with CDC warnings, right? Like, they're getting their cues and working with the bureaucracy to govern what these rules are going to be. I mean, you've seen this same kind of, of sort of cooperation and meddling across the entertainment space with, with government and, and with, like, teachers' unions in government. Teachers are not putting together policies for the classroom in a vacuum. They're talking to the CDC and vice versa and sharing ideas for what policy should be. I mean, social media companies do the same thing they are working with the government on these policies
2: they are but it, it's the government it, you know opened this door i mean the cdc the the vast new powers they have claimed for themselves the cdc is running our housing policy our immigration policy our i mean it's it's a it's a federal bureaucracy totally in love with itself and its newfound power that it never wants to give up they're tell they're they're pushing these companies, right? They're telling these companies, yeah, censor all. We would like you to not be able to discuss the lab leak theory on this platform. We would like you to do more about misinformation. We're going to have a hearing next week. We're thinking about changing section 230. <laughs> we're thinking about breaking you up. We're going to do a FTC uh, investigation. I mean, you're right. These, co- I wish these people were, uh, the people in charge of the social media companies were more courageous. They're not courageous at all. They're falling in line, but they're, they're scared. They're threatened by the government and by the mainstream media.
1: Yeah, that's that, yeah, that, and they're threatened by both sides of the government. They're not. It's yes. It's it's the left and the right now attacking them for different reasons. Yeah,
2: you, you know, do you do you find that interesting, Mark? You know, like I think of how um, you know, Senator Ted Cruz ha- has said he's a fan of Rand and fan of Atlas Shrugged. I think he's he's read from it or cited it during previous kind of dramatic stands he made uh, in, in in Congress. And now, you know, I, the way he's talking, he's talking to uh, to uh, Mark Zuckerberg. The way you know Wesley Mooch is talking to hank greardon and and dagney taggart and it's and so I'm like can you do you remember what this book says <laughs> what is going on there
1: <laughs> well I, th- I think in the end ted cruz is just a pragmatist and a bit of a power luster to use a ayn rand phrase and he's going to say and do whatever he needs to to get on top to dominate the situation and if rand is 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 the uh the quote du jour for that the, fits the situation he's in, he'll use it. But if not, he's not—he's not a man who cares about contradictions or paradoxes. He fits in perfectly with the intellectual and political elite today.
0: So what's the playbook then for holding social media companies to account if we're kind of going from this this rule book that regulation is a and I think this is this is something that you had mentioned in your Rubin interview that like regulation in and of itself is like this form of aggression against producers by the state. It's like this inherently violent act in a way. And I, I don't really know what to do with that when what we do see is is collaboration and coercion between these two. Sectors all the time. It's not ideal that government drags social media companies around to do their bidding, but that is what they're doing, and that is already happening. And I feel like if we're going to give like the, the best opinion possible to social media companies under the guise that they act independently, that's not currently the case. They don't.
1: Well, that's true, but I mean, the, the problem is, is wide reaching. I, I think Walter Williams uh, was one of the first intellectuals to point out. That the the state of our constitution today, and the state of the, 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 the long history of its violations, is not just something that we can lay at the feet of Supreme Court justices. Mm-hmm. The people have wanted these changes as well. They they think differently. There's a different ethic out there that's dominant in our world today. The real the real way we can change this is with an intellectual revolution, I mean, and that takes a long time. It took 120 years to get us to this point. It will take several generations for uh, an for individualism to come back in its best sense and become the dominant ideology again if we continue fighting if we continue offering the alternatives on medium like this. I mean, social media has, uh, despite its flaws and despite its complicity with the government and despite the fact that it's sort of, you know, in bed with the dominant ideas out there, it's it's amplified voices like ours immeasurably.
0: Yeah, and I think kind of going back to where we began, Like we we started by talking about a debate between Yarnbrook and this, this kind of socialist Twitch streamer, Vosh, who have huge audiences both in their own right. And I've just learned so much from the past year, being in the YouTube and streaming space, doing this show about how much intellectual options there are out there online today i mean we really are it feels like in this renaissance moment where there are just so many avenues you can go down to learn about ideas that are not being discussed via corporate media and whoever your given politician are who plays for team red or team blue but we're still living in this republic of feelings Everything in our society today is driven by your snap judgments, your emotions. And for me, that always, that has to go back to, to social media companies is like, what has sort of driven this forward? Do you sort of view like the, the social media revolution that really picked up around 2008 to 2010 as being sort of the beginning of that march towards just being a people who can only deal in emotional reaction to things?
1: No, but I think it's amplifying that. I think that was a quote-unquote intellectual movement that's been, that's been metastasizing in America for decades and decades and decades. Even, I think Rand probably wrote about it in the 60s. Um, it's just that social media enables this it, primacy of emotion uh, a much more immediate access, and it, it allows these ideas to disseminate into the culture much faster. You know, crazy ideas like critical theory and critical race theory um, and some of these activist academics have been germinating in, in universities for 40 years. Uh, but it's as, it's as if they just came into being yeah. because social media has amplified their voice their voices within, I'd say, a six-year period. So decades and decades and decades of these ideas metastasizing in the university world have now just burst at onto the social scene and are really changing things because that's the power of an immediate delivery system like this kind of Media.
0: And that does seem to be why we're rehashing, and I feel like this, this awful way, this battle between communists and fascists, alt writers and, and tankies that is all of a sudden like taken us back to the 1940s because there was this, this end, right? Like the post World War II period was the defeat in many ways of fascism, and then communism died off in 1990, and then it just incubated online and it's spilling back out into the real world. To to kids who are acting like it's the first time they've ever thought of this idea called socialism and redistributing people's things and being nice to one another as a political ideology. It's made like the entirely dated world of those ideologies feel novel to people in a way that's not productive.
2: So social media has made it easier to connect with like-minded people who don't happen to live in your same village in across great distances. In t- so so people who might have had very weird or very bad beliefs in a previous era might have gone to their graves thinking they were the only person who felt that way. <laughs> yeah. But now you can quickly find other people and you can form a little community and that can have downsides. But I would point out that it also can have tremendous upside. You can cultivate um, a, a, a ideological movements and discussions that are based around good ideas using that same technology you can identify uh it, it people whom, whom you're interested in in having conversations with and creating something with so it's it's we we really focus on i mean constantly over the last few weeks oh my god the the downsides of social media but i think some people forget and many of, and many of these people who focus on the downsides are very just kind of hostile to capitalism and company big companies making money in general there are good things about these companies too and, and 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 the technology and what it's done for us in in terms of even putting on the show right
0: yeah. And I think one of the, when you, when you tell that story about people kind of realizing that, like, they're not alone in some way, that yeah. they're not the only person who ever had this thought. One of my favorite musicians, um, used to go by the name of Tom Gable, sang in a band called Against Me, transitioned, um, uh, to living as a woman, uh, Laura Jane Grace. Uh, it was like five, six years ago, something like that. And she would always talk about how kind of growing up and, and sort of living her life as a man that, she felt alone. Like there was nobody out there who also had these kind of feelings and this gender dysphoria and this feeling of being in the wrong skin. And if you were a a young transgender person, that the only example that you had in your head was Buffalo Bill um, from Silence of the Lambs, that there was not a community. And then came the internet. And then you start meeting other people online who do have these same feelings. And then that internet connectivity not creates contagion effects, but it sort of gives people, they feel like the license to be like, all right, I'm not alone. This is a yeah. thing. This feeling that I had of this idea is a real thing, and I'm gonna go do the thing now because other people are. And then you sort of end up in this moment where people are panicking, a social panic or a, a moral panic about the rise of transgenderism, the rise of like bisexuality is like the <clears throat> number one way in which young people today identify. And it's just because everybody sort of sees that like they're not the only. Me once <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: On the other hand, it does. And I, Mark, I know. I think you've expressed concern about this. I, I see your 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 tweets, your social media presence. You know the the ease with which you can destroy someone's life on social media now. They, mm-hmm. They're talking, of course, of cancel culture, the piling on people for for wrong think and that really is a social media problem. You know, when I was young, if I'd said something, you know. Callous or insensitive, that would have been the end of it, but now it sticks around for forever on the, on the internet and you can really hurt people uh, it, it, mark what what are your thoughts on on can, obviously a lot of people talk about cancel culture and I, I think it is a real problem but what are what are your thoughts on this
1: well i'm I'm not against cancel culture if you're really canceling people who hold terrible ideas so should should we should should we uh, you know sort of intellectually boycott you know fascism um, <laughs> sure. But the fact that those words are used to describe people who don't actually fit into those categories, and then we use those descriptions to categorically destroy their lives—that um, that is wrong. Um, so there's, I think there's, there's got to be a way to, um, uh, to to bring slander and libel into this, into these forums where where the people who are being slandered and libeled have some kind of power. Um, that they can prosecute people, the, the sort of anonymous folks out there that are that are smearing them but i think like, look I've, I'm, I'm a guy who believes in an open marketplace of ideas but that you know some things it's okay for us to privately exclude you know and even as a group to decide eh, this, this sucks we don't have to outlaw it but you know the idea sucks so yeah you know I, I think repudiate it in public
0: Your your attitude about it, I think, is is something like I I identify with in, in a lot of ways, where not like not like an aloofness about cancel culture, but sort of this idea that people don't owe any sort of particular behavior attitude towards you. You don't owe anything towards them. And you check yourself, Mark. Like you you carry yourself with a great amount of dignity, a great amount of discipline. And even though you have views that are not mainstream in Hollywood, I don't think I've ever seen Mark Pellegrino do a thing that would actually really draw the ire of people who live in, in your part of the world. Like, have you had an experience where you were worried about your professional reputation, your ability to work, having the views that you have? Yes. Selfishness is good. Yes. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit yes. about it? A-
1: absolutely. I've been attacked in multiple waves on social media for holding the political views that I hold. The people who attack me now that the last wave was a young group of uh, adolescents, people under 18. They're the worst kids <laughs> uh, of them all. They're kids. They don't really have much context and they have little triggers, little emotional triggers that set them off. And then they just sort of gang pile on you. And the more you try to defend yourself, the worse off you are. And then these people archive your tweets and and put them in a long stream, an archived <laughs> stream of tweets that they then pass around e- with each other on other social media forums in an attempt to uh, continue a narrative, a bad narrative about who you are. They've often tweeted me th- these archive tweets as a record of how awful I am, and I look through these tweets and think, there's nothing here that, that says what you're saying. This, this does not describe the being that you're claiming I am, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, um, and and that's scary because you know we've seen corporate weakness in the face of some of these mob onslaughts. We've seen network weakness in the face of these mob onslaughts. Not that they even believe that that, that they're true. They just don't want to deal with the hassle, the potential hassle of these this violence, you know, associated yes. with their show. This 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 type of violence. So um, I mean, I'm hoping that companies get balls. And actually look at archive tweets and contextualize things you know, to give the person whose neck is on the chopping block a fighting chance.
0: Well, they're going to have to. And, and there was a, a piece of good news this week. Just yesterday before we, we sat down to tape this, Netflix came out with a, a pretty strong defense of, of Dave Chappelle and his right. special, The Closer, that has once again predictably drawn the ire of trans activists who want to see you know, his career grinded to a halt. And they want to see... The special pulled from Netflix, which like on a practical level, I kind of was always looking at this going, I'm quite sure that there's a contract agreement that they can't just pull it or they'd probably just lose millions and millions of dollars if they, they did that. But they, they offered a robust defense. And I was optimistic because it feels like the, the mood in the room is is somewhat changing. Like there is a little bit of the tide turning back. Because Robbie, you and I have disagreed on this in the past, like with Gina Carano and the Mandalorian yeah, situation. Because what Mark was describing there was like, studios don't want trouble. And if you are trouble, Uh, in any meaningful sense, real or imagined, there are other people they can hire. (laughs) You don't, they don't need you to play this role. And like, my perspective was like Gina Carano was making things very hard for herself unnecessarily because she was replaceable. And that's exactly where cancel mobs can go. That
2: was a case where they don't want trouble. But the interesting thing with the Chappelle situation is, you know, just from a a tactical standpoint, if I could talk to these activists who want to, you know, get Chappelle canceled, whatever, like, what are you doing what everything you're doing is making it so that more people are going to watch this you want you want to get you want to get people to really tune into something, tell them it's dangerous and controversial and scary and unsafe and we don't want you to hear it. We 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 wish people would censor it. Well your people going to block to it. It it's just that's that's human nature. That's the you know putting ratings on on video games, the kind of thing. This video game's too dangerous. Your parents wouldn't want you to play this. Well everybody wants to play the game now.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Now do 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 you think the network is defending him in part because he's irreplaceable, because there's no there's no other Dave Chappelle or, or are there other other aspects to this argument uh, that make it a him a compelling defense? I mean, if I, I hate to say this, but if he were white, would there be the same kind of defense for him?
0: Hmm, I don't know. I think, again, like, what I had mentioned was, I would imagine that the reason that they're not gonna take it down is cause they can't. Like, they would probably be in big trouble contractually for pulling his, his special. Uh, after the fact. I would think that that's the reason this is right. about
2: money. Um, what do you think of They had to know what they were getting into with this, right? He's, a, he's Surely. A, you don't give this man a special <laughs> if you're not prepared for him to say offensive jokes. Well, I don't know. Mark, you probably have greater insight into this than either of us do for how much thinking through there are of, of various, like, oh yeah, we'll have a show with a controversial person. Wait, he said something controversial. I'm shocked. Maybe they're legitimately shocked. <laughs> maybe, maybe people don't think through, or they, they, they're they they fine tune it, it'll be just this amount of controversy, any less and it's not successful anymore and we have to yank it and I, I don't what's your experience for how, how much do, do, do studios or people making those kinds of decisions in entertainment, are they like really, really thinking about uh, a public reaction and it, what if it's negative or are they just kind of like oh, we didn't see that coming
1: I, th- I think it's context dependent, I think they would certainly be thinking those things uh, if if I were to express myself in a certain way with respect to the show that I'm doing, I'm sure my network would have a, a very difficult time with it. Um, but when you when you hire Dave Chappelle for something, you sort of know what you're getting into. You should know what you're getting into. You should expect controversy. And that's why you're hiring him in the first place. So. I don't think they went into this with their eyes closed. Let's put it that way. But hey, cancel culture is really unpredictable, you know, and th- it's yeah. not like they have objective standards. They're perpetually pissed off. And you know <laughs> any anything you say could could be grist for their mill.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying, man. We're a, we're a republic of feelings now, and I I don't know the way yeah. back to it, where we can actually be a more objectivist people, a little bit cool headed and and fact driven. But that's the ideal. Mark, you mentioned you mentioned American Rust, so I, I'd like to close out uh, with asking you a little bit about your new series on Showtime called American Rust, sort of a murder intrigue story that takes place in a sleepy Pennsylvania town. Um, what's the top line of the show, and what have you learned as an actor? and kind of discovered about your craft, that the show, doing this, that you haven't on other projects?
1: Um, wow. Well, yeah, you, you said pretty much the top line of the show. That's exactly what it is, a murder mystery that takes place in a, in a town in the Rust Belt, a town that's seen you know, better days, uh, you know, where, where people try to leave, basically. Buell is a place you try to leave. You don't, you don't try to stay there, and some people are stuck there for various reasons. You know what I learned? I think craft-wise was that it's still possible to do your craft under extreme COVID constraints mm. because the COVID constraints made the production situation very sanitized, and I and I'm not used to that. You know, normally when you get together to do a production, uh, it, it's like a family. The unit becomes like a family, and you're integrating with each other on on a very personal level and you get to know the cast on a very personal level. You guys go out, break bread together, yeah. you do social things together, you bond. And then that, you know, that connection comes across in, in the shooting. Well, we didn't have any of those opportunities really to be together. We were quarantined from moment one and then there were strict regulations as to keep, keeping a testing um, sequence going. And we, we lived in different spaces and didn't really wow. get a chance to see each other on a social level. Um, but somehow I think our our connection still still uh, was able to come across on the screen miraculously enough. Uh, I think because many of us are just old enough to be able to do that. Um, but it was a challenge. It was, that was a challenge. And I hope we don't have to deal with it for too much longer.
2: You know, Mark, I have to ask you about this. I am a big Big mega Lost fan. Uh, my my wife and I we we played. Uh, there was Lost music played at our wedding. I used to blog for one of the fan sites when I was getting started. We're on a rewatch right now. <laughs> I am like I am a blogger. top. <laughs> lost that was my first foray into into journalism um so i i but, so i wanted to ask you you know i've often kind of said i think there is a very light very subtle pro uh individualism message in lost you played jacob the you know the kind of the island deity who's hinted at for many seasons and then in some ways turns out to be a a humble figure a figure without lost is a, a, a often about how uh, Sources of authority don't actually know what's going on. The people running the island are right; they think they're taking cues from Jacob, but it's actually someone else. Can you talk, maybe just very briefly, about about uh, about th- th- those kinds of themes on the show and and, and what
1: that was like? I, I wish I could because I was <laughs> I was um, I was given no real information, thematic information from the uh, from the directors or the producers, and very little direction beyond. Yes, that's it. Jesus the carpenter. That's the idea.
2: That's what they told um, you?
1: and that, That's what they told me when I was doing a scene, I think with young Kate. Uh, the director came up to me and said, that's it, Jesus the carpenter. So I, that had a very specific meaning to me, so I attempted to let that flavor everything that I did. I pers- My personal experience was you know, listening to the man in black and thinking, I agree with you. Yeah, get off the island. Do what you need to do. Explore. Live. You know you're not bound by uh some uh responsibility to to mentor people or take care of this i I was actually on the man in black side <laughs> while I was hearing him and thought that Jacob sort of represented that um that sort of altruistic point of view where his life was was forfeit it was this bigger cause that that was more important it was this other thing it was you know the containment of hell or whatever. Whatever uh, Jacob's uh, actual function was, that was more important than his own life or happiness.
0: Yeah, what Mark. Fascinating. That, that, Fascinating. That, that is great because, like, what Mark is describing sounds a lot like what cast members on major franchises like, like Marvel and Star Wars say a lot about their experiences as well is when you watch the behind the scene docs uh, the actors are always like they don't tell me anything right. because we're in this like high spoiler sensitivity climate around big suspense series like Lost right and you're Lost looking for Lost almost pioneered answer.
2: that a little bit the, right. the amount of secrecy yeah. around they would film alternate endings for seasons so that even the cast was in the dark. So actors have to act right.
0: without that context that the reviewing class had yeah. when they're going over this stuff
1: but y'all well, uh, well here's here's, here's <laughs> let me let me just add to that and just add more fuel to that fire when i auditioned for it it was a completely different scene a completely different character i didn't know i was jacob until i landed on the island <laughs> and met michael emerson on the set when he said oh you're our jacob oh <laughs> <Ta-da. laughs>
0: Let's clean the slate. A little bit of good news. Robbie, you've had a, a big week. What's uh, what's going on good in your world?
2: You know, this, this. I have a very simple kind of broad one. I now think looking at the projections and what's going on, I think we are finally truly well and and heading in the direction of being done with COVID, uh, with it being such an important part of our lives. It, I, I think cases, certainly deaths, everything are going, I think this is the last could be wrong. Hate to make a projection turn out to be wrong. I think this was the last peak. We're in the downslope now. That's a very good thing. Something to be very thankful for.
0: Well, you mentioned COVID, so I'll go ahead and offer my smarmy good news. I was very delighted to see that the Fauci documentary, National Geographic on Disney Plus has had a very bad time on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's tomato meter was 92% with critics and Two percent with audiences for the <laughs> fauci worship documentary and uh, i'm sorry i just got a real kick out of it yesterday <laughs> and it's made me very happy so there's some good news people are done with the, the minister of the coronavirus all good mark what about you man
1: so so i think ayn rand was right when she's when she had great faith in the american people they tend to know more what the, more what's going on than the elites mine's sort of covet related too i mean over covid i think uh, parents got to see what their what their children were really learning in school and they are now pushing back against school boards everywhere and not only that withdrawing their kids from school and homeschooling and or putting them in private schools that don't that don't ascribe to these idealistic activist intellectual I- ideas that are out there so i think that will be great for our intellectual revolution that we need uh, to decouple kids from from this statist ideology that they get from K through 12 and then into college. Uh, and I think this could be the beginning of a renaissance.
0: It is a, good, it is a good time for the Matrix to be coming back out because there's a lot of red billing going on in, in the world right now, from from children's yep. education to public health policies um, to all of it. Uh, y'all, this has been fun. Uh, to everybody listening, watching, more people are following us and subscribing every single day. That is good news for us. So we want to hear directly from you. What is your positive news? Please do send us a short video or text and we'll get some of them onto the show. I might read them myself if it's text. You can email it to us, video or written, at rightly at aljazeera.net, that's rightly at aljazeera.net, or post it on your own social accounts and tag us at RightlyAJ. That's it for this episode of Right Now. I'm Stephen Kent with this week's guests, Mark Pellegrino and Robbie Suave. Mark's new show is on Showtime. It's called American Rust, so go watch it and do scoop up Robbie Suave's new book Tech Panic out now wherever fine books are freely sold. We'll see you next week. We've got Declan Leary of the American Conservative Magazine and Nate Hotchman of National Review here to make their case for kicking libertarians to the curb of society. <laughs> it should uh, it should be very it should be very interesting. i I'm, I'm excited for you to see this episode. So until then, do keep asking why stay out of line, and be a bug in the system. Have a great week.